Corinthians chapter 6. If you'd find that place in your Bible, and if you're able to stand, let's stand together, please, as we read some verses. I just want to begin by reading the fourth verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. Paul says a very interesting thing in verse 4. He says, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. And I say that because Paul found himself really in an awkward place with some of the churches, particularly the church at Corinth, where those people were questioning his ministry, questioning his apostleship. Can you imagine someone questioning the apostle Paul? And yet they did. And so he, he lists here things that should be evidence of his sincerity. He talks about his persecutions and afflictions and things of that nature. But then let's get down to verse 11 where he says to them, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. And you're probably thinking, typical preacher, right? (laughs) Our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 13, now for a recompense in the same. And in parentheses he says, I speak as unto my children. I'm talking to you as you were my children. Then he says this, be ye also enlarged. And then verse 14 begins a fairly common, well-known passage about the subject of separation He says in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye, he says to this church, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, verse 17, Because of these things, wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Verse 1 of chapter 7, he continues, Having therefore, what he's just been talking about, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I 
I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. That's a great passage. It's all good, right? It's all good. But this is such a wonderful passage. And I want to look at it and is sort of an introductory or maybe a foundational lesson regarding the subject of separation or holiness, which is a subject that is pertinent to everyone in this room. Let's, let's pray as we start, all right? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read it together, study it together, learn about it together, apply it together. Father, we need your help. We know that, Lord, you're the ones that can open our eyes to truth. You can apply the word of God to our lives. And I pray today, in this hour, that, Lord, we could learn and grow closer to you as we look at this subject that has such a vital place in the scripture and in our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now I want to begin tonight just to take a few moments and look at this plea that Paul presents to the Corinthian church. In verse 11 he says, O you Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Now what he's expressing really is his transparency with them. Our heart is enlarged. He's, he's, he's expressing the, an openness that he has with them. And, you know, when he, when he talks about our, my heart, our heart is enlarged, he's just saying, we've made room in our heart for you. That's what he's saying. We have made room in our heart for you, Corinthians. So for Paul, it was more than just speaking the truth. He says, yes, in verse 11 there, our mouth is open, but it's more than that. It's more than his mouth being open, his heart is open. He's, he's, he's in it with his heart. He had a heart for those he was teaching and preaching there. But then he addresses something in the Corinthians that, it, that goes along with this. Look what he says in verse 12. Well, now let's go down to verse 13. We'll come back to 12. Verse 13 the very last four words of verse 13, he says, Be ye also enlarged. So you see the contrast. He said, Our heart is enlarged. You should, we want you to enlarge your heart as well. Be ye also enlarged. And basically what he's saying is, I would like, I would like to have, for you to have as much room in your heart for me as I have made in my heart for you. Now back up to verse 12, he says this, you're not straightened in us. Now, the word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, is not the same as a straight line. The word straight, straightness, he says right there, is like the word Jesus used when he said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. What is that? How can a gate be straight? Now, here's how it can, because the word straight means that some, there's, there's some kind of restriction, there's some kind of an obstacle or narrowness. And he's, and he's talking about the way to heaven. Jesus said straight is the gate. The gate you go through, and by the way, he is the gate. He is the door. But the way you go through is often cluttered with different things. That, and it's a straight gate. If you're going to, for me to come to Jesus, I had to get by some things. Some things, some habits that I had. I'm not saying I cleaned my life up to be saved, but I had some affections or some um, 
of allegiances to friends and different things. And I had to be willing to say, Lord, I'm just going to come to you. I want you more than anything in my life. And so that's what the word straight means. And so when he says here in verse 13, verse 12, you are, you are not straightened in us. What he's saying is there's no restrictions in our heart toward you. We're not making it hard for you. We have a wide you know, a wide open heart toward you. But then he says in verse 12, you are straightened in your own bowels. You're, you're restricted by what's in your heart. That word bowels really has to do with the innermost part of a person. It's their affections. It's their allegiances. It's their loyalty. It's their love. That's the, and he says, he says, the reason that you won't really let me into your heart is you have things that mean more to you. These these desires you have, these affections that you have. And so he says in verse 13, now for a recompense in the same. The word recompense means something in return. Now for a recompense in verse 13 in the same, and then, he, and then we have that parenthetical statement, I speak as unto my children. I'm talking to you like I'd talk to my child because he cared about them. And this is what he said, be ye also enlarged, as a recompense, in other words, because, quit, just because I love you and I care for you, I, my heart is open to you, and would you re return the favor, so to speak, and open up your heart to us, and, and let us be a part of what's, what, what's going on in your world. And, and when you look there in verse 10, or 11, excuse me, in verse 11, those first three words, O ye Corinthians, that's like a, a plea to them, a passionate plea. Corinthians, I'm wide open to you. I, my heart is open to you. I care about you. I don't, just, I don't just give you my words. I give you my heart. And as a recompense, I'm asking you, be ye also, last part there of verse 13, be ye also enlarged. Quit shutting me out of your world. Now that's, that's what he's saying in those first few verses. Now let's skip over to chapter 7 and verse 2. We read it a moment ago, and he says, receive us. He's, it's like he's saying the same thing again. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul pleading with a group of people and saying, would you just receive me? That's exactly what he's saying. Receive us. Verse 2 there, receive us. We, notice this, we have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. There's no reason for you not to let us into your heart. You know, when Pastor Weiss was uh, preaching this morning and he quoted that verse from Paul's letter to the Thessalonican church and he said, despise not prophesying. Don't despise the proclamation of God's truth. And then he said this. He said, despise not prophesying receive the truth be willing to don't despise the truth receive the truth and that's what paul is saying here receive us paul paul is not a man with an inferiority complex who really needs their support or acceptance because he can't sleep at night if they don't like him no he just wants them to receive his message and receive his truth and he's and he's asking them to be have, to give him some space and look in verse Three there of chapter 7, I speak not this to condemn you, for I've said before that ye are in our hearts 
to die and live with you. We, you're in our hearts. We want to live for you and we'll die for you. So this is his plea clearly laid out in the scriptures to the Corinthians. Open your heart up. Let me have a place in your heart. And then, interestingly enough, to me, sandwiched in between these two pleas, we have this teaching about separation. He says in verse 14, now we're going to go back to that the middle part of the sandwich. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, it's not, it's not wise to speculate about what people are thinking when they say things, and it's certainly not wise to speculate about what inspired writers are thinking about as they're writing. But it, it seems to me that Paul is saying, I, I really want you to give me your attention. I really want you to listen. And then he talks about separation. And then he says, I really want you to receive me and give me your attention. It's almost like he put those two pleas on either side of this valuable teaching about separation. And he begins to warn them about the need, verse 14, be not, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's warning them about the need to separate. Now, Paul loved these people, and he, he, he loved them so much. This is the second of his letters that is recorded to the Corinthians, but we know that from 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he loved them so much, he was very straight with them about the issues in that church. First of all, about their carnality in 1st Corinthians chapter 2. He called them out, you're carnal. And, and then just a, a litany of other things they were doing that all were, I believe, in a way, uh, connected to their carnality. They weren't spiritually minded, many of them. And so here he's, he's wanting to give them something else that obviously they desperately needed, and that was some teaching about separation. Now, you may have never discovered this. I thought, I'm, I'm referring back now to the, to the front end and the tail end of this teaching about be open, please be open, I want you to be open. You may have never heard this or seen this, but separation is a subject that some people don't tend to be too open to. They, they, they want to close people out when they start talking about the need to live holy lives. And that's exactly what he's talking about in this passage. Um, some people, and I hope there's no one here like this, but they're not really that open to Bible teaching about standards or holiness. I mean, they love to hear preaching about salvation. They like to hear preaching about, about heaven. They like to hear preaching about the grace of God and the love of God. But when it comes to truth about holiness and consecration, not so much open to that. And yet the same Bible teaches both things. It's the same Bible. And so Paul is telling them, I, I want you to really give me your heart. I really want you to hear what I'm saying. I want to go back to something he said to them in verse 12, if you'll be there with me in chapter 6 and verse 12, when he says, you're not straightened in us. We have no restrictions toward you, wide open to you, but you're straightened in your own bowels, in your own heart. The, the restrictions that they were putting on Paul had to do 
with their inward affection that had to do with their hearts. It wasn't about personality. It wasn't even about doctrinal disagreement. What it was about was they had some things that they wanted to hold on to and was keeping them from really being open to what he was saying. Things that were causing them to close Paul out. Things that were in their heart. And it's because of what was in their heart that they were that he was knowing this. He sensed this. He picked up on this restriction. By the way, the same is true now. If, if you're a parent, you have children, those children get to be uh, adolescents. Sometimes you'll notice in those children that you seem to be losing your influence in their life. And very often what's happening is we're losing their heart. And you've heard people say, and I've, I've counseled people, that when you sense that a child is pulling away from you, you don't, they don't just need more rules. What they really need is to give you their heart. As someone said one time, if you'll throw your heart over the fence, the rest of you will follow it. And Paul was saying, you're not hearing me because you've got some things in your heart that are standing in the way of you being able to hear me. And... Children can be that way toward their parents, where, they're not, where, where their heart is not where it needs to be. And there are things that sometimes even in our own lives, and here's what I want you to really be thinking with me about tonight. Things that we want or things we have affection for or things that we prefer, prefer can cause us to really not be open to certain teaching. We, we put up a no trespassing sign. I've got my views about this. I like doing this. I like going there. You know, I, I grew up with this. And so, so and really, we could, we could list many things that fall into this category. And I'm not going to deal with them in detail. But take music preferences, for instance. You know, when you start, you know, I've, I'm not a teen director now, but I've worked with teenagers most of my life. And... When you start talking to young people sometimes about the music they listen to, they, they, don't hear, they don't even hear, not all of them, but sometimes they won't even hear what you're trying to tell them because their heart is already set in a different place. And they're not open to what you might teach them from the Bible because their heart is not really with you. And the same thing could be about a lot of other subjects, about, about dress choices, about the whole subject of, you know, people, you try to teach people about the danger of alcohol, but they, in their mind, they shut you down because they like social drinking. It's a part of their lifestyle. It's a part of what they, and the bottom line is, Paul is saying, you've got to be open. You've got to be open to hearing the truth. Whether it agrees with you, as we heard this morning, whether it agrees with you or not. And we, we never expect God to change truth for our sake. We ought to change our view for truth's sake. And, that, and we could look at the whole, and so many subjects about marriage, about friendships and all. But the point I want to make tonight is this. We can be guilty of the same thing by not being open to what God wants to teach us because we're not really objective because, because our heart is already closed off in some area of our life. 
you take the whole matter. I'm glad you're all here tonight on a Sunday night. But uh, I think anybody who took the Bible and objectively read the Bible and looked into the Scripture, they would come away with the conclusion that the Bible teaches us in numerous places that when the church assembles, we ought to, if we're not some way providentially hindered, we ought to be there as well. We ought to be, we ought to be worshiping in the church. Not only should we worship in the truth, but, but you could probably give me verses, I could give you verses where we shouldn't just be present, we should be a functioning member of the body of the church. In other words, every, every member of the body ought to be functioning and contributing and serving. And, but you know what? Sometimes people aren't open to that. You know why they're not open to that? Because, they're, because their personal preferences really rule over what God's Word says. So Paul is practically begging them to let me have your heart. Let me be into your heart. You know, I was listening to the Sunday school lesson this morning, the Bible study, and Brother Jason Hawkins said this, I quote, Don't ever come to God with a closed mind. Don't ever come to God with a closed mind. You know, if... If someone's preaching to you, someone's teaching the Bible, and they're telling you something from the Bible, and you immediately start putting up these walls, the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with your heart. And that's why he says to these people, be you, be you enlarged, open your heart, be open not to error. You know, the, everybody says, you know, have an open mind. It's okay to have an open mind to truth, but don't have an open mind to falsehood, but... But he's, he's just saying, you need to open your heart. And what he's about to tell them here in verses 14 through 18 is, I think, one of the most valuable lessons in the Bible. And that's for God's children to be careful about their associations. He says in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now that's not a suggestion. That's an imperative. That's a command. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And we can be confident that if Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, it was because Paul saw in the Corinthians areas where this was an issue. That's why he said, open up your heart to me. I'm going to tell you something very important. He began, to, he began to write to them. But it's not just for the Corinthians, obviously. It's for us as well. What is a yoke? You say it's a part of an egg. No. Different yoke. A yoke is like a wooden harness that harnesses two beasts of burden, two animals together for the sake of work, for plowing, something of that nature, two oxen together. So he says, don't you be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Um, in the Old Testament, it says this, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. That's unequally yoked. You're putting a uh, oxen and a donkey, mule together, you're not to do that. That's unequally yoked. 
Now, what is, it, what is he talking about here in verse 14? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, the first thing that people usually think about in that passage has to do with marriage. And by the way, it does apply to marriage. Because you are definitely becoming one when you get married. You're no longer two, but you're one. You're not to be yoked together. That you say, well, and I know all the things that people say, well, I know they're not saved, and I know they have a false religion, but, you know, after we get married, we'll work it out. God will, you know what I'm saying? People say all kinds of stuff. But this is what God said. This is what God said. Be ye not unequally yoked. Don't do it. Hold your finger right here in 2 Corinthians 6 and go to the left to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just for one verse, but just a second witness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a great chapter devoted to the subject of single life and marriage and, and various things like that. But verse, look at verse 39, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. Now, that does not mean you can kill your husband and be out of it. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, notice this, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. What are the next four words? Only in the Lord. Only if they're in the Lord. You're not to, you, ought, you know, young people, it's a, a good lesson for you to think about tonight. You know, the, the, the first obvious restriction that you should put on any young man or young lady when you get old enough to be thinking about marriage, 35, 40, something like that, is they ought to be a committed Christian that has a testimony of living for the Lord. Only in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean if you married an unsaved person that you ought to get out of your marriage. No, there's some other Bible about that and how God can use you to win that husband or wife. But the point is, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This certainly applies to marriage. Be, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But it's not limited to that. It's more than that. It could be close friendships. It could be... It could be some other entanglements with unbelievers. You know, our relationship with unbelievers primarily ought to be to be a testimony, to be a witness, to share the gospel, to try to influence them for Christ. We have people in our life, people in this community, people that are not saved, people who, who seldom ever come to church here, but people that we personally are trying to influence for Christ. But we do not see that we have any reason or desire to be yoked together with them. Our commitment to them is to try to win them to Christ. We're not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, you know, to this same church, Paul wrote, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupteth good manners. Which means, don't be deceived. If you're, having the, if you're in the wrong kind of relationship, the wrong kind of friendship, it's going to negatively affect you. And so this is a, a warning for their good. You know, my mama, who loved the Lord, she 
She really tried to be selective as much as she could about the friendships that I had, but I went against her advice. And all my friends, when I got saved, every single friend I had was a worldly, ungodly, uh, vile, profane person. And you know what? I don't blame them for the way I was because I was just as bad an influence on them as they were on me. But I'm telling you, the Word of God is true and it's wise. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And note, let's, let's read on now, down from that in verse 14. Here's, so here's a series of questions applicable to that. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord, concord is agreement. There's no agreement. Discord is what it is. But what, what concord, what agreement, what, what unity has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? So he's presenting to these Corinthian church members how they need to separate from some of the people and the influences in their life. And he says, how can you have this communion? What, what, what communion, what agreement does righteousness... Let's, let's just make two columns here. On one side, you've got righteousness. On the other side, you've got unrighteousness. On one side, you've got light. On the other side, you've got darkness. On one side, you've got Christ. On the other side, you've got Satan. On one side, you've got the temple of God. On one side, you've got idol worshipers. And he says, how can these two sides, how can these two views, how can these two groups have anything together in common? And they shouldn't have anything together. What, what part, he says, does an, a, an a believer have with an infidel, with an unbeliever? There are just so many questions that come to my mind at this point, and I'm, gonna, uh, I'm just going to try to avoid a lot of them. But when a, person, when a person feels very at home in a lifestyle or a, or a person or a friend or a group of friends or a group of people that are ungodly, that have no interest in the things of God, then a, that person ought to be asking themselves, why am I here? What do, you, what do you have an agreement with them? Now, before you judge what I'm saying, we, we love, I'm talking about me and my wife, our, we love a lot of people that aren't on the same page with us spiritually. You know, just this past week, I was able to spend time with, with my younger brother and his wife, with her sister, with my older brother and his family, with cousins that I have not seen in decades. The hardest thing for me when it came to moving here 45 years ago was leaving my family because I love my family. 
But when we sit and talk to them, it's about how are you doing, how are the kids doing, but we don't have a lot in common. And it's not because I'm better than them or they're worse than me. It's because, one, you have light and darkness. You have righteousness and unrighteousness. I'm just, I'm not, so don't say that we don't care about other people. We do. But Paul said to these Corinthians, how is it that you have this agreement? How is it that you can be in agreement with this? What look at verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And then he says this, ye, for ye are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of God. How can you have this agreement with idols? An idol is a, a, is a false image that, that they give, you would give a devotion to, that you would give affection toward, that you would give some kind of you know, commitment to or allegiance. You know, one of the worst things, most horrible things of the error of the Israelites in the Old Testament was during the days of Manasseh, they were building idols in the house of God. What Paul is saying is that doesn't even make sense. How can you, how can you, be, a, how can you be in a place of worship where you're worshiping God and have these idols in your life? They don't agree together. And what he's saying is you can't worship God while holding on to things that God is against. Listen to me, you cannot do that. God is a jealous God. God is jealous and He's holy. Notice what it says in verse 16. He says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath, as God hath said. God said something in the past. As God hath said said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now where did God say that in the past? If you're looking your center column reference, it may tell you a place he said it. Leviticus 26, 12. Did you say that? If you have a center column reference. Well, I'm going to go to that and read. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 12. And notice what it says and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people Paul is teaching a New Testament church and he says God said something that has direct relevance to what's going on in your world and God and he's and what did he say he says as God has said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people he says, you're the temple of the living God. So he says all of this about who we are, about how we're not to be unequally yoked. And then in verse 17, that important word, Brother Pastor Weiss talked about that this morning, how words matter. Wherefore, he says, think about this. You might circle that wherefore because everything he's been saying, he says, now wherefore, because all these things are true. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. This is not, this is not Old Testament where you have things that are unclean. If you touch them, it's unclean, then you're unclean. My wife has been reading through some of the, the Pentateuch and, and how it says if you, do, if you touch this dead body, you're unclean for the rest of the day. And you say, well, we're not under all that, and we're not under that. 
but we're not exempt from matters of holiness. He said to New Testament believers, don't touch the unclean thing. Don't touch the things that are standing between you and the Lord. Come out from among them and be separate. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with one of the two best friends I had during my adolescence and early adult years. We went to school together, played football together, camped out, camped out a lot together, did a lot of things together we shouldn't have done, went to concerts together, and I had not seen him this was just a few years ago. I had not seen him since 1975 or 1974. So you're talking about 40 years since I'd seen my best friend. We sit down. We found each other on Facebook. We sit down and cross one another at, at a Denny's restaurant. And this is what he said to me. He said, I don't know what happened to you. But the first time I was around you, after, and he didn't know what after was, but it was after I got saved. I left you and I told our best, our other friend, there was three of us that were, my wife knows these guys very well because they often were a bad influence on me and our marriage. But he said, the first time I was around you, when I left and I talked to our other friend, our mutual friend, he said, I don't know what happened to him, but I don't think we're ever gonna be able to be the same anymore. I, that was 40 years ago. I didn't tell him that. He just, he knew something was different. And you've heard me say this before, and it's, it's, it's such a real part of my life. When God was dealing with me in those early days, when we started going back to church and seeking the Lord, there was something that was more on my mind than any other subject, and that's this. If you get right with God, what's going to happen to your friends? These were the only friends I had. But I had to come to the place to say, I want Jesus more than anything. I didn't run them off. I didn't say you can't come around, but they quit coming around me. By the way, if you've got wicked, ungodly friends that use foul language and cuss all the time and talk about stuff they shouldn't talk to and they like being around you, there's something wrong in your life. Amen. So, he says, separate yourself from these things. Notice what it says, um, verse 70, come out from among them. And what, what is he referring to when he says them? It's those things like darkness. Like, like things that unbelievers, like, like idols, like unrighteousness, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. And then he makes this transition in verse 17. Look at it with me, if you would, please. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, this is not talking about conversion. This is talking about a closer 
fellowship with God. I want to tell you something, young person, that the devil won't tell you. He'll, he may tell you, well, if you really get serious about following God, if you really, if you really get serious about loving the Lord, then uh, you're going to lose your friends and things, you're, you're, things you won't ever have, nobody will like you. But I'll tell you what he doesn't tell you. The more you turn away from sin and toward God, the closer your relationship with God is going to be. God says, I'll receive you. Look at there, doesn't it say that? And verse 18 says, We'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, I'm going to receive you. I'll be a father to you. Now look in chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises. What promises? The promises that if we'll separate from things that God doesn't want in our life, that we would be open to God showing us whatever it is in our life that's not pleasing to Him, if we'd be willing to turn away from things and, and those unclean things, he's, He says having if, that He'll be a Father to us, that He will receive us. That, then He says this, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, the promise of a closer fellowship with God, having therefore these promises, look in verse 1, dearly beloved, let us, Paul includes himself there, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Let us cleanse ourselves. You know, that's responsibility. Does the blood of Jesus cleanse us? Sure it does, but he says if we're, if we're filling our lives with the things that aren't pleasing, we need to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That's attitudes. It's not just about who you marry, who you be. It's cleansing ourselves of everything that would, our thought life, our attitudes, our words, our actions. I've, as I've been preparing this message, I've been thinking about an incident. You know how you have these things happen to you and it just sort of gets etched in your memory and it won't go away? This was many years ago. It may have been before I was the pastor which would have been over 40 years ago. But I was around someone in our church, this person's in heaven now, but I was around someone in our church who I respected a great deal. And we were doing something physical. We were out working or doing something physical. And, and profanity came out of his mouth. A man that was greatly respected in the church. And, what, and it shocked me. It shocked me. How could a guy use a guy that's been saved a lot longer than me? Use profanity and curse. But you know what shocked me even more? It's like he didn't even notice it. He didn't say, oops. Didn't even bother him. Which told me it was just a part of his vocabulary. Hey, this, this stuff matters to God, folks. When we allow things like this in our life, whatever it is, you, you know, I can list things, but you ought to be thinking about it. If, if, if we allow these things in our life, it's going to hurt our fellowship with God. And it's going to hurt our testimony with others. So he's let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And then, notice the last part of verse 1, chapter 7, perfecting holiness. 
The word perfecting there, I think we heard this this morning. We hear it often from the Bible. Perfect doesn't always mean just sinless. The word perfect means complete. Perfecting holiness means it's completing or finishing or continuing this whole process of holiness in our life. This is our responsibility. It's a lifelong process. And I don't have time to really press this point, but look again in verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the what? Fear of God. And this holy reverence for God that we should have. Not a fear of men, but a fear of God. Because we... We want to be pleasing to God. We want our actions. As the psalmist said in 19, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I want my thought life to be pleasing to you. I want my words to be pleasing to you. We do it in the fear of God. Back to this friend. He was a friend. that I spoke about that had this, used that profanity. You know, a person can say, well, I've just used that kind of language all my life. That's all the language I, it was my life too before I got saved. This is not a joke. This is truth if I've ever told it. One of my greatest fears about preaching was that I'm going to be up here preaching someday and profanity is going to come out of my mouth because it was so much a part of my vocabulary. So it's not an excuse because you've done it in the past. Whatever it is, it's not an excuse. We ought to cleanse ourselves. We ought to, God, don't you think if we ask God to change us, he, he wants us to be holy people. That's what God wants. And we do it in the fear of God. We need more of that, don't we? I want to I wrap this up with just a couple of thoughts. The example of holiness is God. And I, we may have, we'll have another lesson on this subject, this general topic, but, you know, in Peter's epistle, he said, um, Be ye holy, God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The example of holiness is not me. It's God. He's the example of holiness. And he said, be, you be holy like I'm holy. That's a pretty high standard, right? A pretty high bar. But that's what God wants. And here's, here's the way I think holiness works. And I'll be finished with this. First of all, holiness, and I'll elaborate on this in another message, is commenced at the time of our conversion. Because when I got saved, God made me a new person. And the Holy Spirit of God moved within me. It began, and he, by the way, He made me holy. He imparted unto me and imputed unto me the righteousness of Christ. So positionally before God, I am holy in Christ. And holiness begins at the moment of conversion. But holiness 
continues throughout our life through the process of sanctification. Putting off the old and putting on the new. Coming out from among them. Cleansing yourselves. There's a lot of misunderstandings about holiness. But God commanded us to be holy. So it commenced or began at conversion. It continues through sanctification, and it will only be completed at the time of our death and resurrection because then we're going to, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But I know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that's the goal of every child of God is to be like him. It's not to be like the preacher. It's not to be better than that person. It's not to be uh, you know, set apart enough to, 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 to be accepted. No, it's to be like Him. That's the goal is to be like Him. And if that's not your goal and you're saved, you ought to make that your goal. And you ought to because that's His goal for you. Amen? People look at separation like it's a dreaded topic. Like it's a negative thing. Oh no. That that said about Baptists. You Baptists are against everything. You're against drinking and dancing and chewing and you're against everything. It has a negative connotation. But here's what they don't know. God said if you'll separate yourself from all these then I'll receive you. And I'll be a father to you. That doesn't mean we get straighten our life out in order that God will love us. It means we, we get saved by His grace through faith in Christ. He comes to live within us. And when He comes to live within us, there's a part of us, a brand new part of us, a part of us that I never had before that wants to please Him. And, and I know this. Whether you have ever seen it I don't know maybe you haven't but I know this in my life when I let something in my life that doesn't belong there it hurts my fellowship with God doesn't, doesn't change my relationship he's still my father but it hurts my fellowship with God and the only way I can fix it is to make that right cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That's what he said, amen. Amen.